David Atterbury, and this is Big Truths, a weekly podcast where we grow in Christian doctrine by looking through the door of church history. Well, we finally made it to the last letter of Ignatius. It is his letter not to a church, but to a man. It's the letter of Ignatius to Polycarp. Now, who is Polycarp? He was the senior pastor, the bishop of the church in Smyrna, the church of the Smyrnaeans, which was the previous letter, letter number six. And Polycarp later in his life would be martyred. And there is an account that you can easily find called the martyrdom of Polycarp. Now his name means much fruit. Poly, much, carp, is fruit. He was a very fruitful man. Not sure why his parents named him that or if it was a nickname given to him later. But Polycarp was a man who would bear much fruit in his life, and the deeds of his faithfulness even to the end of his life, when he's in his 80s, he refused to renounce Christ at the urging of local Roman officials to worship the genius of Caesar. And so the genius of Caesar is not this idea that, hey, he's kind of a smart guy and has some good ideas. What they meant by acknowledging the genius of Caesar was that he is one of the gods, that the spirit of the gods is within him. And Polycarp knew this was false worship. This is idolatry. This would be a betrayal of his swearing an oath and allegiance to follow and worship Jesus Christ alone. He could not swear to another god. And so he refused to take the pinch of incense and offer it on behalf of Caesar. And so he died. He was burned alive. So this is who Ignatius is writing to, the man, the senior pastor, Polycarp. And there's a number of things that I would like to point out before we jump in and read this letter together. Number one, something that you're going to find in this letter are many, many different metaphors. Uh, There's so many wonderful, memorable images that Ignatius is giving to us. He wants these lessons to be memorable. And he is describing to Polycarp how a pastor ought to act, who a pastor ought to be, what the concern of a pastor uh, should be about as he thinks about loving and teaching and knowing his own church. And what we see are these wonderful contrasts. There's a firmness and yet a tenderness. There is strength and yet there is gentleness. So what Polycarp is being urged to be is this gentle warrior as a pastor. And the root of it all, the guiding motivation that Ignatius is giving in describing the office of pastor and his duties, responsibilities, it's one of grace. It is the grace of God that is the motivation for the pastor. What Ignatius is laying out for us is gospel-motivated pastoring. He says, God was patient with you, therefore you be patient with other people. And so he's inculcating in us an idea of humility. The grace of God in salvation ought to humble us. And from that position of humility and gratitude and thankfulness, out of that polycarp, you should be pastoring. So this is not guilt-motivated 
pastoring. Uh, this is not some sort of CEO model of you know good organization and communication and all, all of this kind of community relations or you know anything else that people try to make church about or the pastor writ about. What Ignatius is burdened by in laying out for Polycarp, for the ideal pastor, is one who is motivated by grace. So you're going to see that in the letter. Uh, you'll notice also the tone of this letter is different from others. Ignatius is very direct. He's acting like a commanding officer in the army. He's giving commands to Polycarp. Ignatius uh, draws heavily from the pastoral epistles that Paul wrote, First and Second Timothy and Titus. He uses extended metaphors of the athlete or the soldier. He also uses an analogy of the doctor. He says, Polycarp, you need to treat patients differently according to their needs. And so there's wisdom needed for each case. He says to Polycarp, the time needs you. The times need you. You are the man of the hour. You need to be the wind for other people's sails. You need to be a harbor for storm-tossed sailors. This is a high calling to be a pastor. This is a noble task that one would aspire to. And this is quite the inspiring bracing letter from Ignatius to Polycarp. A second thing that you'll notice as we read this letter is the model of the ideal pastor is Jesus Christ himself. Christ is the senior pastor of the church. He is the pastor par excellence. And so in the very beginning of this letter, Ignatius frames this all addressed to Polycarp, the man who has Jesus as his bishop. Jesus Christ himself is your pastor, Polycarp. And so we often see in this letter Ignatius making comparisons between how God has treated you and how you ought to treat other people. So it's more than just motivation. It's a model for how to be as a pastor. Polycarp, you need to bear with the difficult because Jesus bore with you and you were difficult. He says, you know, it's no credit to you to love faithful disciples. I mean, what pastor wouldn't love mature and faithful disciples? But Polycarp, it is the mark of a mature pastor to love the difficult. And who loved us? Jesus Christ. He is the one who pursued and loved us when we were difficult. So therefore, you need to be the same, Polycarp. We also see Jesus Christ modeled for his manly endurance. Christ endured the cross. He who was unsuffering underwent suffering. The invisible became visible. The eternal took on flesh and lived within time. And that ought to inform how you act as a pastor, Polycarp. We follow Christ, who endured all things. And therefore, you as a pastor ought to endure all things. Endure difficult people. Endure abuse as a pastor, because you follow Jesus Christ. He describes uh, the man Polycarp ought to be like an anvil. 
you need to stand firm and be repeatedly struck with a hammer and not fall down. He says, you know, it's the athlete who is bruised yet still wins whom we admire. Wonderful stories of athletes who thought they were about to lose, they're wounded, and yet despite of all these difficulties, they press ahead and run to the finish line. So you too, Polycarp, need to be a pastor like that. I think as we read this letter, even if we're not pastors, I think this is a model for faithful Christians. And this is a model for fathers. Because I think the pastor is the model father for a congregation, as we see in the pastoral epistles. And so we can apply these things to us, even if we don't have the office of pastor. Another wonderful thing that I see in this letter is regarding widows. He says, Polycarp, you need to be their protector because God is their protector. After God, you be their protector. And so he is the gentle warrior. He is firm when he needs to be firm and not yield, but he's tender and he's gentle as well. And a third thing that we see in this letter and can learn and appreciate from is pastoral wisdom. Quite often in this letter, Ignatius says to Polycarp, you need to know each person in your congregation. So connecting to our previous point, Ignatius said, Polycarp, you need to speak with people in your church individually and therefore follow God's example, which is really interesting because Ignatius doesn't expand on that. You need to speak with people individually in your church as a pastor and therefore follow God's example which I think is just so fascinating. He encouraged Polycarp to have more church meetings, and when you do meet, seek out all people by name, which is wonderful. He says, as a senior pastor, when you meet, you need to go to each person and seek them out by name. So you're not there just to preach the sermon and minister the word. You're there to meet with people, even individually, meet their needs by ministering the word one by one. So there's such a tender personal nature to the pastorate as Ignatius speaks of it. He says you need to have wisdom in the pastorate. Uh, that can only happen when you know each person and know what's going on in their lives. Because as a doctor, Ignatius says, every case may need to be treated differently because not every wound is healed by the same treatment. I also think it's so wonderful. He says, as a pastor, you need to be involved in premarital counseling, which, you know, in the ancient uh, Near East, the early church, this is about the year maybe 114 AD. We, we think premarital counseling is a very modern thing. But no, Ignatius was saying, when men and women want to get married in your church, they need to be united only with the consent of the bishop. If they're going to be married, you need to make sure they're getting married for the right reasons. They need to be getting married in accordance with the Lord and not in accordance with lustful flesh. So you need to sit them down and explain what marriage is about. You need to sit down with couples and premarital counseling, Polycarp, and make sure their motives are right, that they're thinking rightly and well and maturely about getting married to one another. I just think that's so wonderful to see. 
And finally, something else to point out is the wonderful camaraderie of the pastors of a church. There's a kind of fraternity that Ignatius is talking about, a band of brothers of the associate pastors. So in this letter to Polycarp, it appears to be written not just to Polycarp, but to his pastoral team. Because right after the section on marriage, Ignatius addresses directly, I believe, for a paragraph, the associate pastors of the church, because he tells them, you all need to be in submission to the bishop. So evidently this was read to Polycarp and his associate pastors, the Council of Presbyters, as he speaks of in his letters. He said, you all need to train together. You need to compete together. You need to run together. So it's such a comfort to know that in our Christian lives, we don't run alone. We don't run the race of faith alone. We don't fight the fight of faith alone. We have a band of brothers and even sisters, a fraternity, a camaraderie within the church, all helping one another reach the finish line of heaven. Well, I hope these seven letters of Ignatius have been a blessing to you. They have been to me. To reread these is so wonderful. To be refreshed about the nature of the church, uh, the nature of sticking and adhering to sound doctrine and the good it does to the church, as well as the responsibility of a pastor to love and know his congregation. Well, let's jump right in to the letter of Ignatius to Polycarp. Letter of Ignatius to Polycarp. Ignatius, the image bearer to Polycarp, bishop of the church of the Smyrnaeans, or rather who has God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ as his bishop, heartiest greetings. So approving am I of your godly mind, which is grounded, as it were, upon an unmovable rock, that my praise exceeds all bounds inasmuch as I was judged worthy of seeing your blameless face. May it bring me joy in God. I urge you by the grace with which you are clothed to press on in your race and to exhort all people so that they may be saved. Do justice to your office with constant care for both physical and spiritual concerns. Focus on unity, for there is nothing better. Bear with all people, even as the Lord bears with you. Endure all in love, just as you now do. Devote yourself to unceasing prayers. Ask for greater understanding than you have. Keep alert with an unresting spirit. Speak to the people individually in accordance with God's example. Bear the diseases of all as a perfect athlete. Where there is more work, there is much gain. If you love good disciples, it is no credit to you. Rather, with gentleness, bring the more troublesome ones into submission. Not every wound is healed by the same treatment. 
relieve inflammations with cold compress. Be as shrewd as a snake in all circumstances, yet innocent as a dove. You are both physical and spiritual in nature for this reason, so that you may treat gently whatever appears before you. But ask, in order that the unseen things may be revealed to you, so that you may be lacking in nothing and abound in every spiritual gift. The time needs you, as a pilot needs winds and a storm-tossed sailor needs a harbor in order to reach God. Be sober as God's athlete. The prize is incorruptibility and eternal life about which you are already convinced. May I be a ransom on your behalf in every respect, and my chains as well, which you loved. Do not let those who appear to be trustworthy, yet who teach strange doctrines, baffle you. Stand firm, like an anvil being struck with a hammer. It is the mark of a great athlete to be bruised, yet still conquer. But especially we must, for God's sake, patiently bear all things, so that he may also bear with us. Be more diligent than you are. Understand the times. Wait expectantly for the one who is above time, the eternal, the invisible, who for our sake became visible, the intangible, the unsuffering, who for our sake suffered, who for our sake endured in every way. Do not let the widows be neglected. After the Lord, you be their guardian. Let nothing be done without your consent, nor do anything yourself without God's consent, as indeed you do not. Stand firm. Let meetings be held more frequently. Seek out everyone by name. Do not treat slaves, whether male or female, contemptuously, but neither let them become conceited. Instead, let them serve all the more faithfully to the glory of God, so that they may obtain from God a better freedom. They should not have a strong desire to be set free at the church's expense, lest they be found to be slaves of lust. Flee from wicked practices. Better yet, preach a sermon about them. Tell my sisters to love the Lord and to be content with their husbands physically and spiritually. In the same way, command my brothers, in the name of Jesus Christ, to love their wives as the Lord loves the church. If anyone is able to remain chaste to the honor of the flesh of the Lord, let him so remain without boasting. If he boasts, he is lost, and if it becomes known to anyone other than the bishop, he is ruined. And it is proper for men and women who marry to be united with the consent of the bishop, so that the marriage may be in accordance with the Lord, not due to lustful passions. Let all things be done for the honor of God. Pay attention to the bishop in order that God may pay attention to you. I am a ransom on behalf of those who are obedient to the bishop, presbyters, and deacons. 
may it be granted to me to have a place among them in the presence of God. Train together with one another, compete together, run together, suffer together, rest together, get up together as God's managers, assistants, and servants. Please the one whom you serve as soldiers, from whom you receive your wages. Let none of you be found a deserter. Let your baptism serve as a shield, faith as a helmet, love as a spear, endurance as armor. Let your deeds be your deposits, in order that you may eventually receive the savings that are due you. Be patient, therefore, and gentle with one another, as God is with you. May I always have joy in you. Since, as I have been informed, the church at Antioch in Syria is at peace through your prayers, I too have become more encouraged in a God-given freedom from anxiety, provided, of course, that through suffering I reach God, so that I may prove to be a disciple by means of your prayer. It is certainly appropriate, Polycarp, how blessed by God you are, to convene a council that will be most pleasing to God and to appoint someone whom you consider to be especially dear and resolute, who is qualified to be God's courier, commission him to go to Syria, so that he may glorify your resolute love to the glory of God. As a Christian, one has no authority over oneself, but instead is devoted to God. This is God's work, and will be yours when you complete it. For by grace I trust that you are ready for a good work in the service of God. Knowing your intense desire for the truth, I have exhorted you only briefly. Since I have not been able to write to all the churches, because I am sailing at once from Troas to Neapolis, as the divine will commands, you must write, as one possessing the mind of God, to the churches on this side, so that they too may do likewise. Those who can should send messengers, the rest letters, through the people you are sending, so that you may be glorified by an eternal deed, for you are worthy of such a thing. I greet everyone by name, including the widow of Epitropus, together with the whole household belonging to her and the children. I greet Adelaus, my dear friend. I greet the one who is about to be commissioned to go to Syria. Grace will be with him always, and with Polycarp who sends him. I bid you farewell, always in our God Jesus Christ. May you remain in him, in the unity and care of God. I greet Alce, a name very dear to me. Farewell in the Lord. <laughs>